Good morning, I'm Tommy Green. I'm the associate pastor here at Centerpoint. And this morning, we're going to be kicking off our Christmas series entitled Behind the Music. And there are a lot of people who love Christmas music. Matter of fact, we have a lady that goes to our church here. I'm not going to name any names, but she happens to be redheaded and she happens to be married to our senior pastor. And um, she would rather listen to Christmas music than any other style of music. And the reason I know that is because every August, uh, she will send my wife, Shelly, who is our worship leader here at our church, she'll send her an email with a list of Christmas music that she would like for her to play the following week in August. And she's not the only one. There are a lot of people who love Christmas music. Uh, matter of fact, there are whole radio stations who change their format to play nothing but Christmas music for a whole month, some of them for two months. And, you know, there are a lot of really, really good Christmas songs. And there are some songs that are really, really not all that good. Uh, but throughout this series, we're going to be taking a look at some of the Christmas classics and how they were written, why they were written, and some of the meaning behind some of the lyrics. And I think so many times that the lyrics get lost in the melody sometimes. And we, we know the melody of some of these songs we sing, but we don't really understand what the lyrics actually are saying. And so throughout this series, we're going to take a time and we're going to take a look at that as well. But before we ever get started, I want to have a word of prayer for this series, for our Christmas season, and for our message. And there's a few things I want to pray for this morning. One, that God would speak through his word. The other thing I would like for us to pray for is that we would be attentive to his word this morning. Because I know this morning that when you were out in the foyer before you came in this morning, that Christmas music was not what you were talking about out there. More than likely, there was a specific game that you were talking about. And so I want most of us to try to focus our attention upon what God wants us to hear, God wants us to hear this morning. So will you pray with me this morning? Father, we want to come before you this morning. Father, we want to ask that you would speak through your word. I love the Christmas season, Lord, because it is a story of how you came to earth to rescue a lost people. And this morning, Lord God, as we dive into your word and we take a look at a Christmas carol, Lord God, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would move me out of the way and that you would have your way with this service. We pray those things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the first song that we're going to take a look at this morning is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Matter of fact, inside your bulletin, you're going to find two inserts with that title on it. One is the outline of today's message, and the other is a lyric sheet with a little bit of history on the back of it. And if you'll take both of those out, because I will be referencing the lyric sheet as we go along. Also this morning, if you need a pen to fill in the blanks as we go through this message, if you will just raise your hand, our ushers would love to come by and get you a pen. Most people don't really know exactly when this song was written or who it was written by. But most experts believe that it was written by a monk around the year 800 A.D., which makes this song the oldest Christmas song that we sing today. It was originally written in Latin as an Advent song, which meant it was to be sung the week leading up to Christmas. It has seven verses, and each verse represents a different perspective of who the Messiah is, why he came to earth, and what prophecies he fulfilled. And each of those verses were to be sung on a specific day leading up to Christmas. This song would have been very important during the medieval age because it was a society that was illiterate. And one of the only ways that a common person could understand the meaning of Christmas or who Jesus was was through learning these songs. And so it would have been very important during that time period. Eventually, like most songs do uh, in an era, it began to fade away. And a thousand years after the song was originally penned, it was rediscovered by a guy by the name of John Need, 
who discovered the song uh, while he was doing some missionary work off an island off the coast of Africa. This guy was a brilliant man, could speak over 20 languages. He found the song in Latin, and he realized the richness of the lyrics of this song. So he took it, and he translated it to English. And then he took a 15th century melody that some French nuns had written, and he placed the two together. And then he published it in 1850, and it began to spread throughout Europe and into the United States. And that's how the song that we sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, came to be as we know it today. And it's a very wonderful song that we sing at Christmas time. And it's based off of many scriptures, but the main text of the scripture that the song is based off is actually the first part of your outline is Isaiah 7:14. It says, "The Lord Himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel." Now if you'll take the lyric sheet to you, I want to read the first verse, the verse that's most commonly sung in churches today. And this is how it reads, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And this first verse is based off uh, prophecies that God would send a great and mighty king to Israel to rescue them. Matter of fact, that's actually point one on your outline. It states this, that God had promised Israel a king that would ransom them from captivity. And the word ransom simply means to rescue. That God would send someone that would come and pay the price for Israel's freedom. And as a matter of fact, I want to read a few of the scriptures that allude to this. Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6 says this, For a time is coming, says the Lord, when I will rise up, raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. In that day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. Isaiah talked about this coming king this way. For a child is born to us and a son is given. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. And the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. So Scripture had promised that there would be a king that would come and ransom and rescue Israel. And point two on your outline states that ancient scriptures had given clues as to who this promised king would be. Gave clues to who he would be. If you'll take the lyric sheet, I want to draw your attention to verse four in, in, in the, first, the ver- fourth verse in the song. And this is what it says. O come, O come, O rod of Jesse's stem. From every foe deliver them that trust your mighty power to save. Bring them victory through the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. One of the, one of the clues in Scripture that who this king would be is that he would be of Jesse's rod, which simply meant that he would be a descendant of King David. Jesse was the father of King David, the same David who had killed the giant, the same David who was the greatest king that Israel had ever seen. That this promised one that would come and rule 
and save Israel would be for one of his descendants. A couple other clues that were given that who this king would be or who this great leader would be that we've already read before this morning is that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be a great leader, and that he would save his people from their sins. And one of the things that's very important for us to understand about these promises is that all of these promises, all of these prophecies were written 700 years before that first Christmas day ever took place. But on that Christmas day, when Christ Jesus was born in that manger, all of these prophecies, all of these promises begin to come to line. All of them begin to be fulfilled. And point A on your outline states this, that Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promises. All of these promises pointed to Jesus, that Emmanuel would come to them, that the great leader would come and would rescue them. A few months before that first Christmas day, before Jesus was born, an angel appeared to Joseph. Joseph was to engage to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And this is how Matthew re, uh, uh, talks about that account. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said throughout, through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Seven here, 700 years earlier, God had promised that Israel would have a great leader who would be a descendant of King David, who would be born of a virgin, and who would save his people from sin. And I tell you what, the wonderful thing is that Jesus fulfilled all those promises. And here's a life application that we can count on this morning is that we can trust God to keep his word. God had given his word that there would be a great leader and someone that would come and rescue them from their sins. And God made good on his promise. Here's how Deuteronomy 7, 9 says about God. He is a faithful God who keeps his promise and is merciful to thousands of generations, to those who love him and who obey his commands. You know, when Israel was actually in captivity in Egypt, God had promised them that their forefathers, their ancestors, that he would give them a promised land, that he would lead them out of captivity and give them a land that was promised to them. And after Moses had died and Joshua had led the people, the children of Israel, into the promised land and they began to settle there, this is what Joshua said of God's promises. Not a single one of all of the good promises the Lord has given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. Everything he had spoken came true. And the good news for us this morning is that God kept his promise to Israel that he would send them a leader. God made good on his promise that he would give Israel a promised land, a land that they would call their own. And the good news for us this morning is that God still keeps his promises. He still keeps his word. And what that means to me this morning is when God's word says that he will never leave me and that he will never forsake me, that that's true. When his word says that he has removed my sins as far as the east is from the west, to remember them no more That is true. 
When God says that he works everything out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes, that is a true statement. When God's word says that one day I will be reunited with those that I love that have passed away and that I will get to spend eternity with my granddad and with my best friend that's passed away, I can know that that is true because God has been true to his word before. He'll be true to his word again. Is that good news this morning? God is faithful and true to his word. I mean, I love this scripture. Matter of fact, I did not put this on your outline, but write down 2 Corinthians 1.20. This is how, how 2 Corinthians 1.20 reads in the message. Whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. I'll read that again. Doesn't that sound good? Whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. And this morning, I believe there are some of us, some in here this morning, that are this close to giving up on God. You've given God a chance. But you feel like you've been disappointed. You feel like he hasn't come through in the time period that you thought he should come through. Can I tell you, it was 700 years before God fulfilled his promise, but God kept his word. And God will keep his word to you. And God will keep his promises to us. So do not give up on God. Do not let go of the promises that he has given you. You need to hold on to them. He is faithful and just. He had given God a promise. He had given the Israel a promise that he would send them a great leader. And he sent them Emmanuel. And point B on your outline simply states that Emmanuel means God with us. He had sent them this great, here's the crazy thing. This great and great and wonderful leader that they were waiting for was no other than God himself. Here's how the gospel of John starts. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became human and made his home among us. I mean, God made his home among us. Here's how Hebrews goes on to explain why he had to do that. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. It was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Hebrews goes on to say that, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we, have, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. You know, I tell people this all the time when you talk about missionaries and talk about missions, that Jesus Christ was the greatest missionary of all time. He left his home in heaven. He came to earth to live among us, to be one of us, to do the work of God. That's what a missionary does. I'll never forget the first time I went on a mission trip. I went to Monclova, Mexico. And I will tell you that after I spent a week in Monclova, Mexico, I understood a little bit more what it was like to live in that community. We stayed in a cinder block home in the middle of the summer with no air conditioner. That week, after doing hard construction work, I got to take two showers that lasted two minutes apiece. Every meal that we ate, consisted of rice, beans, tortillas, and salsa, which I quickly found will totally wreak havoc on your digestive system. 
ironically, one of the things that we were tasked to do was to dig a huge hole for a septic tank through solid rock using nothing but a sledgehammer and chisel. And I'll tell you what, our team was so proud because at the end of a whole week, we had dug that hole and it was four foot deep and we weren't done yet. And I'll tell you what, when I got to minister to the people at night when we would have our church service and I got to pray for them, can I tell you I understood a little bit more about the lifestyle that they lived, the conditions in which they lived in, understood what it was a little bit more like to be one of them. That is what Jesus did. He came to this earth so that he could understand what it was like to be one of us, so that he could minister to us, so that he could understand us. It's a wonderful thing that he did. And a life application for us this morning is because Jesus was God in the flesh and knows what it's like to be one of us, we can bring all of our concerns and pains and problems to him. We can bring all of them to, to him. You know, there's one thing wonderful about this song, this song that we sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, actually alludes to this. If you'll read verse 6 with me for just a moment. It says, O come, our day spring from on high, and cheer us by your drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadow put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, and Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. Jesus drew nigh to us so that he could take our gloom and our darkness and our pain and our rejection because he knew what it was like. I'll never forget when this truth became a reality in my life. I met my best friend when I was in eighth grade. He had moved from Mississippi to Texas. And the very first day that he moved to Texas, he came to one of our youth events and I met him there. And we hit it off. Matter of fact, we hit it off so much that I invited him to come and spend the night over at my house that night. And we stayed up all night just talking and cutting up. And we just really hit it off. And though we went to high, different high schools and played sports against each other, we were best friends all the way through high school. I mean, there were nights that we would play basketball. Our high schools would play basketball against each other. We'd play football against each other. That we would go out and hang out after the game. And I think the reason that we were so close is because we based our relationship on three things that were very, very important to us at that time. We based our relationship off of God, off of sports, and off of girls. Not always in that order, but that was the basis of our relationship. We eventually went off to college, and while we were in college, things began to change. We became roommates, and all of a sudden, he began to hang out with a group of people that had different morals than we did growing up. He began to do things that we promised each other that we would never do. And one day I came home and came to my apartment and he had packed up all of his stuff and had moved out and moved in with some new friends. And I went over to his new apartment to talk to him and I told him, I said, hey, what's going on? You've changed. And he looked at me and says, yeah, I've changed. He said, this is my new life and these are my new friends. And can I tell you when I, left that place, I felt like someone had stuck a knife in my back. I was very disappointed. I was very hurt because my lifelong friend, the guy that I had built such a great bond with, all of a sudden was throwing all of that away. And it hurt. And the more I thought about that over the next couple of weeks, I began to be very bitter. And I began to really just be mad at God. And not just mad at God, mad at him and just mad. 
And I'll never forget, I was in my apartment one time just, just thinking about the disappointment. And I really felt like I felt like I heard the Lord speak to my heart. And he said, I know what you're going through. And it just kind of got my attention. I was like, huh. And as I began to think about that, he began to remind me that he had gone through some of the same stuff that I had gone through. That he knew what it was like to have someone very close to him betray him. That he knew what it was like to have someone very, very close to him turn their back on him. And as I begin to think through this, I begin to realize that Jesus really was human. And he really did feel some of the same emotions that I was feeling. He went on to remind me that he knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be tired. He knew what it was like to be thirsty. He knew what pain felt like. He knew what it was like to have someone not understand him. He knew what it was like to be rejected by his family. And as I begin to think through that, I begin to remind my, he began to remind me that he wanted me to bring all of that hurt, all of that pain, all of that disappointment, and bring it to him because he would understand, and I could talk to him about it. You know, as I begin to do that, and I begin to say, okay, God, I get you, I understand, I begin to bring that hurt and that disappointment to him, he reminded me of something. He reminded me that though he had been disappointed and though people had turned his back on him and though people had rejected him, he chose to forgive every one of them. And then I felt he had asked me if, if I would do the same. Would I forgive my friend for turning his back on me? And can I tell you that was really, really hard. But you know, as I sat down and I prayed and I asked God, God, I want you to take this hurt and I choose to forgive my friend for what he's doing, all of a sudden it felt like a big burden began to lift off of my shoulders. Now, I wish I could tell you that the next week my best friend came back to me and said, hey, we're friends again. Well, that didn't happen. It did eventually happen. About two years later, he actually called me up and said, can I come see you? And he came and see me. He said, you know, I want you to realize something. I was a bonehead. I said, yeah, you were a bonehead. And he asked me to forgive him. And you know what? We've re recreated a relationship and we still talk today. But it was during that moment of disappointment that I really realized that God understood what it was like to be hurt. And that I could bring all of my pain to him. And some of us in here this morning, you need to hear that. You need to know that God knows what it's like to be in your shoes. You need to know that God knows what it's like to have a family member say something ugly to you. You need to know that he knows the pain and disappointment that you're going through. He knows what it's like to love someone that he was very close to. And you need to hear that this morning, that you can bring all that to him. There are other, uh, others of us in here this morning that need to hear this, that if God has come to this earth so that he would know what it's like to be one of us so we can bring our problems to him, that if we can bring our problems to him, that we should bring our problems to him. Too many of us for too long have held on to hurt and disappointment and rejection. And we hold in. We know that God wants us to bring it to him. We know that God is calling us to forgive those that have hurt us. But yet we hold on to it because pain and disappointment becomes a friend sometimes that we want to hold on to. And if we can bring our problems to God, we should bring our problems to God. Here's what 1 Peter says. Give all of your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. He cares for you. So next time you sing, O come, O come, 
Emmanuel. I want you to remember that Jesus Christ came to earth fully God and became fully human so he would know what it would be like to walk in your shoes and that you can give every care, every problem to him. Another thing that we need to understand this morning is that about this song that, that we sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It starts off with that first verse that says, Come and ransom captive Israel. But you know, luckily that's not where the song ends. Most people, when they sing this song, will actually sing the last verse as well. And if you will, I want you to read this with me this morning. O come, O come, desire of nations, bind in one the heart of all mankind. O bid our sad division cease and be yourself our king of peace. You know, God had promised that Israel a king that would come and rescue from them sin, their sins. But here's the good news for us. That promise wasn't just for Israel. God had promised that he was going to send a savior into the world to save the whole world. The whole world. And that's what this verse alludes to. It wasn't just a song and just a promise for, for Israel. It was a promise for the whole world. And point three on your outline states this, that we all need Jesus to rescue us from sin and from death. All of us. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We are all infected and pure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sin sweeps us away like the wind. All of us are sinners. Can we all agree with that this morning? Is there anyone in here that's perfect? No, we're all sinners. But here's the good news of the gospel. Here's the good news of the Christmas story. 1 John 4, 14 says this, The Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the whole world. John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son, so that anyone, everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I want you to understand something this morning. When we talk about the Christmas story, the Christmas story at its very essence is a rescue story. It's a story of a world that had gone wrong, that has gone its own way, and was, all of us were impure with sin. And it needed to be rescued, so God sent his very own son in the form of a human to rescue the world. Is that good news? I mean, that is good news. It's the good news of the gospel, and the good news even gets better. A life application for us is the Lord will rescue all who call on his name. Everyone who, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 2 Corinthians says, anyone, and circle the word anyone, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and the new life has begun. The note for us this morning is Jesus will change our lives if we choose to obey him. I want you to understand this morning, Jesus came into the world to rescue the world, and he has done his part. Everything that needed to be done for you to be rescued has been done, has been paid the ransom has been paid. The price has been paid for your rescue, for my rescue. It's been done. The choice is up to us. Will we choose to follow him? Will we choose to accept the gift of his son this Christmas? Will we choose to believe and follow and obey him? And if we do, 
The promise in his word is that we will be changed. The old lifestyle that we used to live will be no more. And God will make us into a new creation, a new creature, a new, new beings that will be and look and act more like him. Here's how Romans puts it. Don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Now you do those things which lead to holiness and a result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. If we will choose to obey him and follow his ways, he will make us new. It is a free gift that has to be opened. Just like on Christmas morning, when you have gifts and someone gives you a gift, if you don't receive the gift and you don't take and you don't open it, then you don't get the benefits of using it. And Jesus is is the gift that we are to open this year. And the Christmas story is such a wonderful story because God had promised Israel a king, a great leader that would come and ransom them from their sins. And that he would be born of a virgin. That he would be a great leader that would save them from the sins. And God did that through Jesus Christ. And he came and he left his home in glory. A king of glory left his, king, his, his kingship and came to this earth because he loves us so much that he wants us to be able to bring all of our problems to him. He wants us to bring all of our, our situations, all of our sinful life, and to exchange it and give it to him in exchange for his life of holiness and his, ho- his life of purity. And that's the good news of the Christmas story. And this morning, as we talk about this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that talks about this, uh, there's another song that alludes to this um, fact that there's this great and mighty king that came to earth to rescue us. And this morning, I've asked my wife, Shelly, to come and to help me sing this song. And it's a song called How Many Kings. And it talks about how many kings, I mean, would an earthly king really leave his throne to come and rescue his people. Well, here's the truth of the matter is that we have a king that did just that. He came to this earth to rescue us. And that is an amazing thing that's unheard of.